0: Linux Out Loud is firing up our mics, connecting those headphones as we search the community for themes to expound upon. We keep the banter mostly friendly, the conversation somewhat on topic, and have fun doing it. This week, we are spotting off about what applications we use to make our Linux machines sing a beautiful digital song. So let's get into episode 10. Linux Out Loud is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. With me today is the camera corner catwoman of the Destination Linux Network, Wendy. And the Destination mix Network equivalent of the Riddler, because you wonder if he will show up or give you a decent game
1: suggestion, Matt, how are you two?
2: Doing pretty good. like the DC theme this week. It's pretty fun.
1: So Nate, riddle me this. When are you not going <laughs> to expose your love for OpenSUSE every episode? Uh, never. That was an easy answer. Next. <laughs> you just chose the wrong answer.
2: Not much of a riddle, is it?
1: No, because we already know the outcome.
2: <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a very good riddle.
1: doesn't need to be a good riddle. It's just a matter of point. <laughs> anyway, you should at least have a good riddle.
0: I mean, you are the Riddler, right?
1: You are not worth that effort.
0: <laughs> oh, man i would think of you or something ouch
1: hey it started in the show notes
2: that it did i'm so happy to see the banter going on in the show notes once again it was so boring without you in the show notes
0: this is true well matt's easy to fire shots across the bow and it's lots of fun for me too
2: Mm, definitely
0: no comment (laughs) so wendy i understand you have something new with your microphone please please share
2: Yeah, I brought this up on one of the last episodes of Hardware Addicts, and it is the ISO Armor 2 microphone isolation chamber. And one of the things that I was hoping that this would do would be to help cut out some of the background noise that goes along in this house. We have trucks that'll drive past right next to the window where I'm currently recording. The kids will be in the house playing, fighting, whatever, you know, what kids do. And sometimes that still gets picked up if we Remember the episode where Matt asked who just died? Well, that was my kids in the living room. A wall just passed this and thankfully everything was okay, but it would be nice to cut some of that out. Ryan had one, so he said, hey, don't buy it. I've got one I'm not using. It's way too big to use for a video podcast, and that is no joke. This thing is absolutely massive. I should probably get a picture of it with it on my microphone so you guys can see just how big it is. It takes up so much space. So it's not something that when I'm in the Jitsi chats or whatnot that I'll be using just because it hides literally most of my face. And it doesn't really cut out the kids in the background. Does it help? Yes. Like it does make them a little bit quieter. To be fair, this mic isn't so big around that it blocks that whole bottom hole. Like sound can get up underneath it. So that's additional entrance point for sound waves. But in general, like I could still hear the kids. The one thing it did do and the reason why I'm using it right now is because it did improve the way my voice sounded. And so I'm curious if the listeners hear that change in my audio or not. So during shows, during recordings, I have a few audiobooks that I'd like to record this summer. Of course, they'll be out free on the Libra library. But I would like to test that out, kind of play with it. And this is what I'm going to be using for those type of projects. And then in Jitsi Chat or whatnot, when I'm hanging out with all of you fine folks, this massive container will be off the microphone. And then I'll just speak to you normally so we can actually see each other.
0: Yeah, I was thinking of when Matt does his video streams or whatever, this would be good for him to have on there so you don't see his face.
1: (laughs) Well, I was going to say you know, maybe you should actually send it back to Ryan so he can actually turn his camera on instead of having to turn it off during the show. Oh
2: my goodness.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Kidding, Ryan. Maybe.
2: Two hide your face jokes back to back, one for Matt and one for Ryan. There you go.
1: I'd say it to Michael, but you know, he has a new show. So you got to respect the beard there.
2: He's got to represent. He's got to show his face and be a Talking head, right, for the new show? Yeah, for
0: those that can grow facial hair, it must be nice.
2: Yeah, both Michael and Ryan don't hold a candle to Magneto when it comes to growing a beard.
1: It's all that electrostatic that he puts there.
2: Energy he's got going on. Yeah,
1: makes it <laughs> want to grow and stuff as far as facial hair.
0: He can also just think and crush them. So, I mean, that's pretty cool, too. No, no, no. He can't think and crush them. He can think and crush their technology. Got to get it right. Yeah, but if they're like in a car or whatever, he can just think and crush them inside of a car. Assuming it's not a <laughs> Like a, a Saturn. <laughs>
1: you went a 180 from where i was going with that, but okay.
2: Either or, it's all fine. Magneto can be death to your technology, whether it's your car or your computer.
1: There is no can be, is. It's more of a statement of fact than plausibility. <laughs>
2: Hey, his work laptop, his work iPad, and his work phone are still working. So to be fair...
1: His work stuff, but his personal stuff, has he broken at all?
2: Oh yeah, he needs another new screen protector. But if I'm being honest... So do I. We go through glass screen protectors like there's no tomorrow. And it's because things drop like I drop it. My tablet needs a new screen protector because I recently dropped it again. It's in a million different cracks. Yeah. We go through glass screen protectors in this house like it's nobody's business.
1: So the question is, how many times have y'all broken the Surface devices, though?
2: Not yet. Keyword is (laughs) yet.
1: because those are expensive for your place.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And when it breaks, I would absolutely cry because we do, we use them all of the time. We actually were at my in-laws this last weekend and both of the Surface devices got packed with us. And I mean, why not? They're so thin and so light that they're easy to take just about anywhere. And in that occasion, when we do finally break them and trust me, We will because both of us, I give Magneto a hard time, but both of us really are hard on technology. I am going to be very upset. You'll hear about it. I promise you all will hear about it because I'll be very, very upset.
1: (laughs) And that's when Wendy goes shopping for another used one at some point at her local store.
2: They have to get one in in order to do that. But yeah, I slip in there every once in a while and see what they've got for laptops and technology. Nothing recently that I was like, oh, yeah, I need that. But I do stop in and see what they've got. It looks like you have another 24-hour live charity stream coming up. I am so excited for this. The last one was an absolute blast. Maybe this time we'll get you to play Among Us. When is it, Matt?
1: (laughs) Good luck with that. (laughs) Yeah, I got another 24-hour live stream. This one is on Monday, June 20th, starting at 9 a.m., going to June 21st. At 9 a.m., so 24 hours. I was going to be totally insane and try doing a 48-hour, but yeah, you know, sleep and all that fun stuff. You have to sleep? Uh, Occasionally. Then I start hearing voices like Nate's, and it just makes me want to bash my head through a TV. Ooh, yeah. That would make me want to bash my head through a TV, too.
2: I don't think anybody could do 48 hours unless you could, like, tag team somebody in to be able to say, hey, you need to take this next six while I go take a nap, eat, whatever. 24 hours is bad enough.
1: You guys keep telling me that no one can do it. I'm going to attempt to do it one of these points. The charity I chose this time was one called The Cure. It's the Citizens United for Research in Epilepsy. Kind of a personal story. June 20th is the birthday of my brother who happened to have epilepsy and ended up dying from it. Mm. The short version is he had too many seizures in the course of a year. He had one, went into cardiac arrest, heart failure, all that fun stuff. And I'll just leave it at that. This is kind of a close one to home. So I thought it was. Appropriate to support something that is close to home, as far as that, the date is significant to me, as far as that. So that's the reason this particular charity was chosen this time around. I was looking at another one that with video game preservation and that kind of stuff. I know that would be more Nate's alley of preference. (laughs) Mm -hmm, Yes, I'm gonna try to be doing one of these charity streams like once every like six months, give or take, just because it's something of a way of us giving back in different ways to society, like love the digital divide stuff. I love all that stuff. There are a ton of charities that we can help if by me having to play video games for 24 hours helps a kid with chemo or helps with raising money for better research in epilepsy and that kind of stuff. I'm totally for that. So the next one will probably be around Christmas time is what I'm thinking. That way we don't oversaturate the interest and that kind of stuff how I'll be doing this one. It'll be similar probably to the last one. 10, 15 minute breaks every two hours. and The typical go to the bathroom, eat kind of thing. That's about it. June 20th at 9am. Come see me get tortured by having to hear Nate and stuff in my ear or see him on screen.
0: This would be great. I think you should have some intermission music or switch over to me while you're
1: using the facilities.
2: That would be incredibly entertaining. Like incredibly entertaining.
1: I have not determined how much uh, I'm looking to raise for this one. I might be a little more loft I'm what I'm looking for this time around just because of that personal connection and stuff whatever that goal may be I might end up saying the following and people want to hear this who have made the among us joke for six plus months now (laughs) going on longer whatever the goal may be I'm not going to be unreasonable with it but if we end up reaching that goal we might at the next charity event live stream do among us If we get that.
2: goal, Oh, my goodness. I'm so excited. I'm so excited.
1: Well, don't make that goal. I'm not making it unrealistic, Nate. (laughs) Yeah, because I got to make sure I can afford to uh, get us there. (laughs) I'm not going to make it an unrealistic goal. But if we happen to raise the money, we might be seeing me play some among us. If you guys want to actually see me play it, finally, I would highly recommend you stop haggling me about it. (laughs) I would recommend
0: you haggle you more, if anything. The more haggling, the more top of mind it is. For you guys, yes. So
2: right now, we need to know how much you want to raise so we can figure out how we can help get everybody on board and make sure we meet that goal. Because that is like the tops right now for me, making sure we meet that goal. Because I would love to see this happen.
1: So I'm thinking, this is just a range. I'm not sure really where it sits right now. The last goal was a 1000 because of Brandon and all the other fine folks in the community where he able to get through that. I'm thinking anywhere between 1500 and two is what I'm thinking. I want to go higher just because, but that's where I'm thinking. I'm probably thinking closer to the 1500 end. If we happen to hit that, then we will have Among Us be part of the next charity event. And you can quote me on that one because something tells me I'm going to try to weasel my way out of this. <laughs> of course,
0: you can try to weasel your way out of it because you are kind of a weasel. But that sounds great. I'm sure we're going to get that goal. And I would love to see Jill be the imposter again and somehow end up killing you. That would be like my dream scenario right there.
1: And we will somehow coordinate it so that all the show hosts are on for the game.
0: That would be just absolutely fantastic.
1: You guys have like two months to figure it out, plus an extra six. So figure it out. No, this
0: is great. I'm looking forward to you playing Among Us. You're going to love the game. You're going to get addicted to it. And it's going to be like your favorite game from
1: here on out. Yeah, no. Just so it else would know. Nice try, though, Nate. An old man can dream. Nah, you're not wrong. So speaking of Among Us, uh, Nate, there was a particular problem, though, that you were having with DirectX 11 games. What's going on with that? I
0: spent a lot of time searching for an answer, couldn't find an answer. I ran into this problem again, but on a newer machine. And I'm like, I know this thing can do DirectX 11. I just automatically dismissed the older machine as in not being able to swing it GPU-wise. What it came down to was there are a couple of packages missing In order to allow Vulkan to be able to do the the interpretation of DirectX 11 into whatever the Vulkan protocols were. And I read somewhere that Vulkan can do this, but it's not as fast. Regardless, I found the solution. Essentially, it consisted of adding two packages to OpenSUSE Tumbleweed, like downloading two packages and installing them, libVulkan Intel and libVulkan Intel 32 bit. Once I pulled those in, it pulled some other dependencies in that were all Vulkan stuff. Even though Vulkan was installed, not all of it was installed. People like this whole minimal installation thing, I'm sure. Now, even the older systems can play DirectX 11 games. So that means even the older machines can play the new Lego Star Wars, the Skywalker Saga, and and so forth. I'm pretty excited to see that there was a solution. It just wasn't out there. So I am writing an article for cubicalnate.com. I can share that solution for OpenSUSE for anybody who may happen to run on the same problem. Maybe it was just me, and somehow the stars aligned that my computer's and Steam didn't like me, but regardless, I'll put the solution out there that hopefully if somebody else runs into the problem, they can check it out as well.
2: I have- seem to have any issues with it. But it'd be nice to know that if I did, if it started to be a problem, you've already found a solution in order to make that work. How much digging did you need to do to find the solution? Or was it fairly simple?
0: I read a lot of forum posts, did a lot of research, and there wasn't really anything clear, no direct solution. This is what you have to do. It was just Vulcan can take the DirectX 11 calls and make it work. But there was not, this is how you have to do it. And looking, I saw that I had Vulcan installed So I thought, well, it must be working. And then I thought, well, I see there's this LibVulkan Intel. I know I have an Intel GPU in this thing, because it's a whole system on not system on chip, but you know, the the hybrid, whatever it's called, where the GPU is part of the CPU thing. And so I thought, well, let me try just installing this, see if that changes anything. And sure enough it did. So it's kind of a let's experiment. And that's how I found the solution.
2: This episode of Linux Out Loud is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Cloud computing can be, let's say, complex. But standing up reliable, affordable cloud infrastructure really doesn't have to be. At DigitalOcean, you can enjoy a comprehensive portfolio of compute, storage, database, and networking products that put your cloud infrastructure in capable hands so you and your team can get back to doing what matters most, building world-changing apps that grow your business. DigitalOcean also provides you with predictable pricing, robust product docs, and services that developers love. DigitalOcean helps teams regardless of size, whether you're a team of one to a team of 1,000 people. DigitalOcean helps your team grow with their simple, powerful cloud computing services. As a listener of Linux Out Loud and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. In fact, even better than free because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 credit when you sign up at do.co slash tux2022. That's do.co slash T-U-X 2022. So again, you can get started with your $100 credit on DigitalOcean's awesome cloud platform by going to do.co slash tux2022. And we want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Linux Out Loud.
0: We all talk a lot about how we enjoy using our Linux systems, and I know especially Matt talks about how his love for OpenSUSE all the time, pretty much in every show, and how the OpenSUSE installer is favorite, but after you get your system installed, what do you do with it? You just look at your desktop environment, you just browse the web, you know, what are the applications that you use on a daily basis that helps you to get your work done, whatever that work may be, on Linux? So, Wendy, I know that photography is a huge part of your work that you do on computers in fact it was photography that actually pulled you into linux sort of kind of side-loaded you into the linux world what applications do you use on your system to help you get your job done
2: one of the first applications that goes on my system is rapid photo downloader not only do i use it on my system but i recently installed it on my in-laws too and i've mentioned i've talked about this application a ton of different times and one of the things that i love the most about this application is the fact that you can decide where those files are going. So it doesn't have to be just year. You can be very definitive or detailed in how your file structure looks. And then you have control over how of those files are named when they're imported into the system. On top of that, you can use job codes. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be for work. It could be directly related to family style stuff. So this weekend when we were at my in-laws, we were going through some of my husband's grandpa's world war ii memorabilia type things one of the things my mother-in-law has is a pin so his plane got shot down over russia When they were being snuck out of the country, he exchanged pins with a Russian soldier. So a Russian soldier went home with an American pin, and he came home with a Russian pin. Oh, boy. Of course, my mother-in-law doesn't want to let that go. And I had my nice camera there, so I was able to take a picture of that when I came home. When I saved that onto my system, I saved it with a job code specific to what that was so that I can go back and find it later on if I can't remember exactly what month that was taken later on, I can use that job code or something of like to help me find that thing later. And that's probably one of my favorite uses for this. You don't have to be a professional photographer to use it. It can be anybody who's just taking pictures, even if it's with your phone. And wanting to import them and have them sorted in a very nice, easy to find file structure and naming pattern. Awesome application.
0: I've never actually used it. I just seem to copy everything from my camera to the computer, but I sort it manually there's probably a better way to do it i suppose i should probably try rapid photo download or something maybe that make my life easier i don't know do you have it pull everything into like one folder or can you actually say i want all these things to go to this folder or whatnot
2: so the way i have it set up is first by year so it goes into the proper year folder and then it goes to month and then from month it goes to a specific job code we go camping quite a bit during the summer if we go camping twice during that month and I label them, I use the same job code, then they will all go into that particular job code for that month. One of the reasons why I've set it up that way is if I'm doing jobs for a client, I want to all name them for that client. And then if I'm doing shoots over a couple different days, they're all together and it makes editing so much easier for me. For my in-laws, when I set it up for them, it goes to, of course, the year, then it goes month and then month and day. So there's three levels before you see the actual images. Then I don't have a job code set up for them. There's so many different ways that you can go about that file structure and naming. They have some basic ones that you can choose from and then you can do custom. And there's all kinds of things within that side that custom, whether it's the time, you can go all the way to second if your camera is set up properly with the correct time and date, that you can arrange them down to the second in your renaming process. There is so much you can do with it And then it's automatic once you set up how you want your file structure to be and how you want your naming structure to be. You click download and it automatically puts them where they're supposed to be, renames them for you, and you're off to the races. Now say you want to back up your images at the same time that you're downloading them. There's an option for that too inside Rapid Photo Downloader. I have a drive inside my system that's called backup and it automatically sees that backup drive. Now, if you don't, you can go in there and manually set those drives and where you would like them to go. But there's a ton of flexibility. You don't have to manually import and name each one or drag and drop them to the proper date time folder. Rapid does that all for you. It literally is rapid once you have it set up the way you want it to work.
0: Yeah, it's really cool. For me, it's a lot of video and photo mix of the different things that I'm doing?
2: It pulls in both.
0: Okay. Then you can have it pull to like a specific folder based on whatever job it is you're doing. I think that could probably work in my case too, but I nest my folders pretty heavily. Is it okay with a lot of nesting? Yep.
2: That's not a problem. When you go in to set up your custom folders, you tell it exactly where you want it to go and it does it all for you. Yeah, that's not a problem. You just have to let it know where it's dropping those files. Well,
0: that's pretty cool. I'll have to uh, maybe check that out, see if that works or how well that works.
2: I'm curious on your feedback on it.
0: Certainly. I'm curious on the feedback I'll give you too.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Matt, you do all kinds of creative production, whether it's on this podcast or doing things for gaming channels. What is one of the applications that you install right off the bat with a fresh installation?
1: Because I use pre-made distros, I generically, it's already pre-installed because, you know, I'd be lazy that way. I do arch, but I don't do arch the arch way. (laughs) (laughs) So for me, there's a couple of different programs. OBS is definitely, definitely one of them. But another one that I also use a lot is Senolira for a video editor, Senolira GG to be exact. Just a different kind of video editor. I tend to prefer over Caden Live and a few other different video editors, Flowblade, all the typical ones that will generically get mentioned. So those are two apps for me that have to be installed bar none all the time. As far as the gaming stuff, it's going to be really simple. It's going to be Steam. It's going to be the heroic launcher for the Epic and the GOG games that are not native to Linux. If I want to mess around with my GOG collection on Linux, though, I will use the Mini Galaxy client, which, Nate, you are welcome. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you. Those are very particulars for me that I enjoy using or, and or need. My biggest one, though, is probably Sinalera, just because it has certain things in a certain workflow that just works better for me than, say, Cade Live. And I use Cain Live for a long time as like the primary video editor on Linux, but workflow wise, it just similar finds a better flow for me to get into. So I spend less time editing. And Wendy, as someone who does editing, you will understand what I say. Anything that saves you time in editing is a godsend. It doesn't matter if it's a second or 10 minutes. (laughs) It's a
2: godsend. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. It's all about shaving off those seconds, minutes, because in the end, You want to be done. It's not that one hates editing. Sometimes it's not always it was the most fun thing to do, but it's not what you want to spend your entire life doing. You'd like to get up from your computer and, you know, go do and be.
1: For anybody who is not the creative type to understand, at least from the video editing or audio editing, because I do both, take a clip that is maybe 10 seconds long and put it on repeat for about 50 minutes. And then you'll have an understanding of how editing goes. Generically, you want to bash your head by the time you actually finish and hit the export button. <laughs> that's where most editors actually get to eventually. I and mean, what I'm saying is a big sigh of relief because it's like, I'm done. And then we critique our product at the end of result after it's already been put out constantly because that's just how we are. This is true. Then it's like, oh, I could have done this. I could have done that. I could have done this. I could have done that. And then it's just like, whatever. You learn to be your own worst critic.
0: I wonder how many people actually see the same faults in your productions as you do. When you look at all the faults when you make that list after you've published a video and see where you made a mistake. I wonder how many other people see those same mistakes or what the fraction is. Yeah. Or maybe they see more mistakes. I don't know. Probably if they're my videos, I'm sure they see a lot more mistakes.
1: <laughs> so no, those are definitely my applications I need. OBS and similar are probably like the two that are like need to have OBS for the live streaming, obviously that I do. And it's for the GameSphere local video editing stuff that I do as well. So those are my preferred applications there. While that's my preferred end of things, Nate, you use a lot of different stuff because you dabble in pretty much everything software-related <laughs> and hardware-related now. What's some of the pieces of software? The first thing you will install on a fresh OpenSUSE, Leap, or Tumbleweed install.
0: The good news is I don't have to because it's already bundled in. And that's LibreOffice. I know you don't like LibreOffice as much as some other one that you think is great, but I think it's (laughs) mediocre at best. What I like about LibreOffice is the ease of being able to just knock out some things real quickly. As far as product for my home education, for my kids, I put a lot of things together to make it easier. You know, if we're studying the different countries that we're studying that week or parts of the globe we're studying that week, things like that, or different pieces of vocabulary or declension noun endings for something in Latin. And I can put those out very quickly and I have them digitally. I could write them on the chalkboard, but that takes way too long and it's not very transportable. So when I tutor other kids, I have that product and I reuse it. So I use LibreOffice a lot. I even do it for other little things too. When I do video production, I use some animations and such. And I know that there are better applications to do this. But I've been using like the chroma key functionality that's built into Caden Live combined with just some different effects that like things I can do with as far as like text moving or pictures moving and so forth in LibreOffice comes out with a, what I would consider a pretty decent result. I'm sure you know, people would think that's a real chintzy way of doing it. But hey, I enjoy it. It works well for me. And it's pretty reliable as far as like the outcome. I use that. I use LibreOffice a lot for that as well with the presenter and whatnot. I use the spreadsheet in LibreOffice every day for a variety of things. So everything from like tracking the chores that my kids do to helping my kid with, which actually I don't have to help him anymore. He does it all automatically, but tracking the egg production from our chickens and ducks, as well as how much we're spending in feed and also for sale of eggs and whatnot too. It's a great way to teach basic accounting for my young ones as well. So yeah, I think LibreOffice is great. I mean, sure, you could use Google stuff or some other online office thing, but LibreOffice just does it well. And I like the fact that it has a nice dark theme that matches my Plasma dark theme because it can do that. It just pulls in the OpenSUSE breeze dark and it looks good. So I'm happy with LibreOffice, how well it works and how flexible it is, all the functionality that comes along with it. And the fact that it's bundled right in there
1: with OpenSUSE. So Nate, I will have you know, I've actually been using You are thinking I'm going to Promote WPS Office or Only Office because, you know, I like an interface that doesn't look like it was from, you know, 1990. Uh-huh. Actually, I have mostly been switching off from WPS and Only Office. I have actually been downloading uh, the Caligra Office suite instead. Really? Yes. I've been trying to see how much of the built in KDE stuff I can actually use, like the stuff that's built for KDE specifically or Plasma, whatever you want to call it. I've actually been using Caligra for a good couple of months now. And honestly, I can pretty much do everything. I need to formatting for Windows documents like in any other open source or proprietary Office document. If they're shipped in Microsoft formats, they tend to be a little wonky regardless for the formatting. But generically, it does everything I needed to. Before you strike me with the you can use that other weird thing that you do. I'm using something weird, but it is the open source
0: <laughs> one. I've is. tried Caligra <laughs> somewhat
1: recently and I just didn't like the layout of the interface as much. Like some
0: things were just not intuitive to me. And maybe it's just because I've been using LibreOffice so long. And actually, quite honestly. I haven't touched my install of Microsoft Office in months. I can't remember the last time I even used it because LibreOffice is actually handling Microsoft Office documents without a problem.
2: I've had pretty good luck as well with LibreOffice and Microsoft Documents. Yeah, once in a while, you'll get kind of something wonky come in. And for me, that's usually when somebody's used a font that I don't have. And then it can change the formatting a bit because of that font change. But for the most part, it's been pretty good, especially with the last few updates that they've done. I've heard of Caligra, I've never used it. At one point, we were using WPS Office, and that was actually pretty nice for us as well. There's so many different options when it comes to productivity and office software on Linux that once you find that one that just kind of fits... Really no reason to change.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. It's kind of like desktop environments and or DEs and window managers and all the other fun stuff. Once you find a way to something, it's really hard to change And which is weird being Linux users because, you know, we talk about distro hopping and all the other stuff and all the upheaval about our technology. But at the end of the day, we are kind of old man nails at cloud a lot. <laughs> <laughs> when we actually peel back everything and really think about it. Some of us are more willing to experiment than others, but a lot of us get in that comfort zone and it's like, it works, so what do I care? Totally guilty of that. Totally guilty of that. I can't really say much in that regard. But we're also a little more willing to be like, oh, well, this app didn't work for us. Let's move on to the next one.
2: Yeah, definitely. Sometimes we leave things too early and sometimes we hang on to stuff a little bit too long. It goes both ways.
0: (laughs) This is true. When you have something that's comfortable to use and someone says, you should try this application, I'm always really hesitant. And I have an example of that. I've been using the Ultimaker Cura open source application for slicing models to put into the 3D printer for years now. And I mean, a good five years and so i've been very comfortable with it and someone said i should use the prusa or i think that's how it's called prusa slicer because it's better i'm like ah it's something new i you know cura is working really well for me i don't really see myself using this prusa slicer well i'll have you know yesterday in fact from the time of recording the ultimaker cura slicer fell on its face with a model that i needed to 3d print it added all this weird geometry after it sliced it. I'm like, you know, what's going on here? And so I re-exported the STL file to re-import. And I thought maybe there's something wrong with my model, whatever. It wouldn't go away. This strangeness just wouldn't go away. So I thought, well, I'm going to try this Prusa slicer. Maybe it does a better job. So I import it in there. It sliced fine. It sliced faster. Gave me much better information as far as like how much it's cost based on how much you spent on the plastic and everything else. And I'm like, wow, this is great. If only it had a dark theme. So I'll make sure to complain about that at some point. <laughs> Makes your eyes bleed.
2: It's amazing how much... The- That makes a difference. That dark theme, especially for those <laughs> of us who need it.
0: Yeah, it's hard to live without dark theme. So Wendy, when you're not working on your computer and you want to have a little fun, what do you use for entertainment?
2: There is a lot of Steam on the rare occasion that I do get to play a game. Steam is one of those that I do for enjoyment. But lately, I've been spending a lot more time on Jitsi. There's several groups that I've been a part of, whether I'm getting some work done and it's noise going on in the background and being able to jump in with with my ADH brain, hey, we're going to go over here, we're going to focus on this conversation for just a minute, and then we're getting back to work. Or it's just hanging out and chatting with people in the community. I've spent an awful lot of time in Jitsi. Now, it in a web browser has been kind of a pain for me. So in order to get the best performance from it, I've been using the app image. I understand that there's also a flat pack for it too. And on my current Fedora system, that would probably be easy to install. But I already have the app image of it running That is where I get the best quality with video. I have so much fun. And the best part about it is it is cross-platform. So I can use it on my desktop. I've got it on my Surface device. I mean, that, of course, is still Linux. But then I will also join in from my tablet and my phone, just depending on what's going on. It's on all of those different devices I can join, regardless of where I am or what device I have in hand. Jitsi, for all of its faults, I think, Overall is a great video communication application and it's definitely one that I go and make sure that I can have the app version instead of using it in the browser.
0: I, too, use the app version because I think it works way better. Mm -hmm. It seems like the cameras stay on, like they don't shut off as much. Right. So I don't know what they've done in the app itself, but it seems to be better tuned to using Jitsi.
2: Yeah, and that's definitely one of the problems I've had in the patron chat for Destination Linux. If I'm using it in the web browser, I don't get to see what Ryan is sharing on his screen. I don't want to watch the YouTube video at the same time that I'm in the Jitsi patron chat. I want to be able to see what's going on, and Ryan does that with his screen sharing, but I never get to see that in the web version, and I know some of it's probably having to do with my internet connection. It really isn't great, but the application does kind of work some of that out better than using it from the browser version. Just so much smoother.
1: Not being able to see what Ryan has on camera would be a good thing. <laughs>
2: Hey, I want to see what they're talking about. I want to know what's happening.
1: Yes, there's a reason why the camera defaults off when Ryan turns it on. It shuts itself off for a reason.
2: Oh, goodness. I
1: think it's because he has a little cover on his camera.
2: He does have that as well. He's got a privacy cover on top of his camera. So there'll be times where the camera's on, but that privacy cover is flipped. And I'm sure some of that has to do with the fact of his camera needing to be on while Michael is getting things set up. And so it can be on, but you're not necessarily seeing him. And then it's always good to have a privacy cover on your camera regardless. So
1: Or if you're Michael, a piece of tape or a sticky <laughs> note.
2: Hey, that works too. That works too. Whatever. Matt, you probably have all kinds of entertainment apps on your system. What's one of your top ones?
1: Dear Lord, it depends on the system, to be brutally honest. HTPC, I use Kodi. That is my default app for all my local media. You know, my backups and all that stuff. I have all that stuff synced up to Kodi when I work. I'm like you. I need background noise. But for me, it's music and that kind of stuff. Just something that is just kind of playing in the background. I'm like you, the ADHD type where, oh, images. I get distracted very easily when it comes to that. I don't do video, I do audio. So that way I can at least focus on the other video, audio stuff that I need to do. But for me, my app of choice, if I'm on GTK-based DEs, my favorite music player is actually Lollipop, but it's tied to very specifically GTK based DEs just because of the way it's designed. When it comes to Plasma, generically, the one I usually find myself falling back into is usually one Elisa, E L I S -S A, which is however you pronounce it. I think you are the one that recommended
0: I try that one again. I think it was you, but I've been using Elisa pretty regularly since then. I find some of the searching isn't as nice as like Amarok as far as like filtering things down but it doesn't crash like Amarok that's actually the real winner
1: it's not going to be a Clementine or a Strawberry or any of that kind of stuff it's not basic but it does the Unix approach it looks to play music from a GUI perspective very simply the auto searching and all the other stuff can be hit or miss sometimes you have to go and define folders and that kind of stuff but you have to kind of do that on really any other music player that from my experience that I've always had to do because I have a lot of this stuff on external drives or different drives and it's not always in the home music folder that a lot of the music apps will search for defaultly so you end up having to go in and add that stuff by default the one thing i would do wish it was a bit better at was fetching album art which honestly i would still say lollipop is probably the best one if you want like that clean modern kind of flat design ui built in gtk that's probably the best one for fetching album art i found anyway those are probably the two that I use the most though. And Cody, well, it's like setting up a Linux distro You're going to customize it till the cows come home as it were.
0: The application that I thought was the best for fetching album art was Amarok from the KDE3 era. It always fetched the album art really nicely, but I think it was more in vogue at that time to have your MP3s or whatever on your system. And so I think more people were making sure those things are updated on those databases or did a better job at the time. Maybe. I, I don't know. I could be wrong.
1: Well, see, that's my problem. To get off my lawn, as an old head, I have 130 gigs of music as an example. So that stuff being organized and having the actual album art for an album, the actual program, understanding that, Oh, these tracks are not part of this album is like all the metadata stuff is really important to me because that's a lot of music to really shift through and not fun. If you got to go and, search everything the search style is not always the most functional and i don't feel like building playlists for every single album that makes total sense but nate what are some of the things that you do when it comes to entertainment though instead of work 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 is all we hear about Though.
0: well i have to tell you what i do for fun is cad i enjoy doing cad a lot free cad i know it's work But I love designing things, even like just crazy little things around my world to fix a little problem. I probably get the most joy out of that. Now, FreeCAD can be a little bit frustrating at times because it's parametric design only kind of. So sometimes the model blows up. I laughed so hard yesterday when FreeCAD lost a reference and was having a slot hole that I put into the side of this holder on a completely different face from a different direction. I laughed really hard because it was just absolute craziness. Like I have no idea how it decided to do that. And I realized that probably doesn't fit your definition of entertainment. So let me go ahead and segue to another application I use. I guess it's an application, but I use the MB server for my local movies. I have a very large collection of movies. I'm the kind of guy that dives into the bargain bin at the big box store to see what kind of DVDs are on sale. And so I have a lot of DVDs and sometimes Blu-ray, but mostly DVDs. And I like to pop them into the server, rip them and put them on my MB server. I do have a backlog of things to put on there, but anything new that I buy is pretty much put on there right away. The fun thing is I get to be excited all over again
1: for a movie I haven't seen in 10 plus years. Nate, you and I are in the same boat because that's basically what I do when it comes to Cody stuff, rip it, (laughs) put it up on literally the Blu-rays that I do buy are the coasters. Mm -hmm. I'll go dive into the dollar bin, you know, the $5 bin. I'll go to the dollar store, buy whatever random Blu-rays that I see. Doesn't matter. They all end up ripped and they all end up watched at some point. I totally get it. A lot of people won't understand that mentality until they've been offline for a while. Right. And I have
0: internet that is somewhat hit and miss because I'm using like self-service. Of internet and so sometimes the internet's just not good enough to watch something streaming and frankly streaming services are so fragmented now I'm to the point where I don't even really care don't even bother I should probably just cancel the rest of them because I just don't happen to use them as much as I did initially because they're so fragmented I find that my mb server is actually just better it never loses the shows or the movies that I want to watch it seems like it's better effort to just go ahead and buy what I want, throw it on there and call it good.
1: The ripping process, depending on if it's Blu-ray or DVD, can be a bit time consuming, but that's one of those drop it in and kind of move on just, oh yeah, <laughs> go back to it.
0: Right. I do feel like I should try something besides MB. I've been meaning to try Jellyfin for a while now, but I just haven't gotten
1: around to it. This episode of Linux LA is brought to you by Bitwarden. One thing we can do to protect ourselves is having unique passwords for every online account that we have. I've been using Bitwarden for a while now to do just that. It not only helps me keep track of the many passwords I now have. It includes a random password generator. You can set the length of special characters and so much more. But here, yeah, it's open source, receives third-party security auditing, and you can get started for free by going to bitwarden.com/dln. Want some of their premium features like one gigabyte of file storage, vault health reports, or just support the project? It starts for only ten dollars a year. Jump over to bitwarden.com/dln to get started with your free account now. Wendy, it looks like you've purchased some
0: hardware. It's a hamster?
2: Yes, it is a wireless mouse. So you were calling that a hamster. I've been using a <laughs> G502 Hero for about the last, what, year ish or so. And for the most part, it was doing pretty good. But I came to the situation where it was glitching. Like I was having issues where I'd go to highlight stuff and it would in the process of highlighting, all of a sudden stop what I was highlighting and pick up again. I don't know. It's really hard to explain unless I could show you a video of what I was doing. It was just an absolute pain in the rear end to be dealing with this mouse, especially with audio editing. That's where it became extremely frustrating. I had this issue in the past and thought I'd had it fixed. But then once again, I was having it. I had went in, I had reset the pull rate, both in Piper and in the terminal. I just could not get the problem fixed. Supposedly, that is a known issue with this particular mouse and that it said that it was fixed with a specific kernel. I'm running the latest kernel, so it's not like that was a problem. I'm like, well, maybe it's just Nanjaro as you know I set up Fedora 35 I was having the exact same issues on a fresh install of Fedora 35 and it's like nope it's definitely not the distro itself it's gotta be something with this particular system that it's still having problems because I have two G502 heroes having the same issue with both of them. Now, one of those is currently connected to the kitchen system. It's had absolutely zero problems, no glitching. I don't know what it is particular with this system that's causing it to have issues, but it was, and I couldn't take it anymore. I went and grabbed one of the ball mice Logitech where you're moving back and forth with your thumb, and it was doing all right. But I was wanting to be a little more accurate with my control on it, and after having... A gaming mouse and not even necessarily using it for gaming, using that Logitech again was somewhat painful. And I decided I was gonna go to my local hardware store. Hardware is in computer hardware, not hardware is in home hardware. (laughs) And was looking at some of the different mice. And I picked up a Corsair M65 LW on sale. So this is normally like a $130 mouse. I got it for $100. So far, I'm absolutely loving it. The biggest downside was, and in order to control the rainbow vomit, and really there's not that much, there's just a little bit on the back with the logo and that same RGB. There's kind of like some vent looking lights in the back. That's all one control. I had to boot into a Windows system in order to get that set up. Now there is an application that supposedly works for Corsair. When I was looking at the GitHub page, it said it was for both the keyboards and mice. I installed it. It wasn't seeing my hardware, my mouse hardware. I don't have a Corsair keyboard, so it didn't help there. Piper is what I used in the past in order to control the rainbow vomit on my G502 Hero, and Piper wouldn't see it at all. I had a Windows system set up because the kids needed to do some state testing that required a special secure browser that could only be installed on windows or mac i took one of the spare systems that i have through windows on it and i'm like heck i've already got this for a school function might as well use it to set up the rainbow vomit on my mouse so i went ahead and did that and then it has another side button a thumb button and i set that one so that it is alt s if you are familiar with Audacity or Tenacity, that is the keystroke that turns on and off sync lock for tracks. So with one button on my thumb, I can turn that on and off, move whatever I need to around, and quickly turn it back on. I'm using so many other key combinations. In doing that, it's really nice to have one of those be a one-click clear and gone. Sync locks seem to be the best option. Another one that I could have done was what I used to silence tracks because I use that quite frequently too, but it worked out pretty well. It seems to be helping with my workflow. The other thing that I absolutely love about this mouse is it has two different, actually three different connection types. It could be connected with a USB-C cable. It can go Wi-Fi. It does that through the little dongle or it can be Bluetooth. Where we were at my in-laws this weekend, I already mentioned, that I took my Surface Pro 6 with me, the wonderful thing was I could connect this mouse to a Viva Bluetooth, do whatever I needed to on my laptop and not have to use that silly little touchpad thing on top of it. I have been kind of considering, especially after having a conversation with Maru on keyboards and mice about taking this one back because I do have some time to take it back in a Razer version instead. The only reason I would be doing that is because of the Open Razer software, being able to control some of that on. Linux instead of having to jump into a Windows system if I wanted to change what that button function was or if I wanted to change the lighting on it. Overall, love it. But with the option of being able to control a lot of that on a Linux system, it has me leaning towards taking this one back and getting a different mouse.
0: So using a Razer keyboard or mouse, you can program in Linux. You don't have to go into Windows or something like that.
2: You can definitely do all of that with the RGB He wasn't quite sure if you can set the buttons, the custom buttons on it, but you can definitely do lots and lots of cool things with the rainbow vomit on these different devices. I jumped on a video call with him and it was really cool because he was showing me the different profiles that he had set up. For the most part, he leaves his backlit keyboard with a pretty basic lighting setup but if there's a game he's jumping into he has custom lighting sections which pretty much grays out or dims any of the keys that he's not using and then the specific keys that you need for those games are different colors so he said he sets movement to a specific color and that way it doesn't matter which games he's in because he switches to that profile. Oh, this is the key that I use to do this task in this game. And that part is really cool. I don't know that i necessarily use it for that, but I like the easier fine tuning of the Rainbow Vomit on these devices. I currently have a Cooler Master MK730. And one of the reasons why I bought this keyboard was because it came with several built-in lighting types different preset functions. I guess there's the standard one where the rainbow goes across and many different other ones. The one I currently use, it's a solid color. You hit a button, it changes color, and then slowly fades back to the one that you have it set to. Now within this keyboard, you can cycle through these different presets, and then using the function key and some of the other buttons, you can then change the colors, but that's really time consuming. You don't have as much fine-tuned control of what those colors look like in the end. Yeah, you can go red, green, blue, purple, you know, some of those others, but it just takes so much more tweaking and adjusting and it's just harder to get it there. Whereas if you have software that you can log into and say, okay, I want this color of red. I want it to go to this color of blue and but being able to use that larger graph style to select your colors instead of having to do it with keys is really quite nice. If the application, the one he was showing me was the polychromatic, and that's where he had all of the profiles set up, it would only do colors. It wouldn't do hardware buttons. So then if you had a keyboard that had specific special keys, it couldn't do that. But there might be another razor application that'll do that. I don't know. I need to do a little bit more looking into it before I make the jump to an razor mouse because I still want one with the thumb button and I still want it to do what I already have set up here. If I still have to log into Windows in order to get that to work, I might as well just stick with the Corsair that I have that I know I absolutely love and the features so far have been awesome. I asked how long the battery life was on this thing and they're like, oh, you know, it's all right. And I haven't needed to charge it yet. I picked it up on Thursday last week. It's now Monday of this week. And I haven't used it for like a solid day of editing or anything like that yet. So we'll see how long the battery lasts. Good so far. It is now that time, game of the week. Oh, wait a minute. It says right here, there's no game of the week this week. What else do you got for us, Matt?
1: So no, there is no game of the week this week. I have been busy updating how I consume my game media. For a long time, I've had a GOG account. Always been a thing. I haven't had a ton of games on it. Like I think right now, the last count was I was sitting at 161 games that I had bought and or imported over from uh, using GOG Connect. The fact is, you can download these games with offline installers. So therefore, double click the big old EXE button and it installs the game locally without the internet. Don't need it. It's all local. That is a great thing. However... You have to download each individual thing from the website and it is mad annoying as a Linux user. There are uh, CLI applications that kind of allow you to take care of this. Uh, I believe there's a CLI app for Linux called Waverin that allows you to handle some of this. Not going to lie, I want to push the big red button and it, it just does it. There is a app for Windows that will allow me to import my entire database of my game collection into it and then download every single respective file, folder, etc. that you need to download for every GOG game in your collection. Because there's things like wallpaper zips, and then there's things like soundtrack files, and then there's the game files, which anything over four gigs, they break up. So if you have like a game like Batman Arkham Knight, which was like 50 gigs, you have like 11 or 12 different things you have to download just for the game individually if you do it through the website. I downloaded an app called GOG CLI. I'm probably gonna butcher this. Basically, it's called gogcli.exe is the actual app name. The actual app that I use though is GOG CLI GUI, which is built on top of that app. So it's a CLI GUI. (laughs) It's something. Okay. (laughs) guess somebody found a medium for the argument of CLI versus GUI that we have here on the show.
0: Ah, I see. Powers combined and become Captain Planet or something like that, or Voltron or Devastator.
1: Along those lines. This app allows me to take that importation of my games and just click download all. You can define folders, like where they go. And it just simplifies it so much. The nice thing is this does for GOG, they have like zip files. This does like a zip check on the file to see if it's it's verification and validation. Does MD5 some checks on all the files it downloads. So there's a lot of nice little touches to verify, like all the data is actually there that I really do like about this. And the fact that I don't have to waste so much time downloading every single file dealing with inbuilt browser uh, download managers and just all that nonsense. There's no GOG Galaxy client per se for Linux and the other one that they do have doesn't do this. It installs games. I'm not looking to install the game. I'm looking for the EXE, as it were, to have so I can install the game at my leisure offline. It's a Windows only app, unfortunately, but it is definitely one that I think is uh, really cool and worth highlighting because as I get more into Steam and I like Steam, I love what Valve contributes to the community, etc. I do like me playing some offline games that I can just store and throw on a, you know, external drive somewhere and let sit for, whenever I decide to click the install button on them. That to me is a whole lot better than constantly downloading, re-downloading all the same stuff that we constantly do with services like Steam. I like Steam, let's say I don't. But that ability to be offline and still have your entertainment is really important to me. And like I said, I think Nate, you'll probably understand that more than probably anybody, at least.
0: I totally do. Kind of makes me think. So the Steam Deck, I wonder if Mini Galaxy or whatever it's called, Mini GOG, can't remember the name of it offhand. I wonder if that would work fine on the Steam Deck. So you can have your offline games available on your Steam
1: Deck. That'd be kind of cool. There is a flat pack for Mini Galaxy, if I am not mistaken. Oh, then problem solved. Steam Deck uses a flat pack. So there you go. It's the biggest thing is just that ability to be offline. While Steam does offer a offline mode, at one point they had like an every two week check-in. But there are certain issues that I do find with Steam. You know, you exit Steam and you have games on an external drive. It has to, like in Linux specifically anyway, for Windows games, it has to go through and re-verify all the stuff. There's certain nuances is that I'm like, okay, like the platform, I love everything about it, but I have all this over off to the side too, just in case. For sure. I think that's
0: great. And it's probably something I should do. I was once more particular about that and I've become lazy in my old age, but I do have a folder of a lot of the games I've downloaded from GOG because there wasn't an installer available anyway that I have sitting on my downloads folder. So it's something I should probably go through and download those things again, just in case like GOG just disappears one day. So I have them locally.
1: That's my concern too. So while I'm busy downloading things and whatnot, it sounds like you're building stuff again.
0: I can't help myself. I like to build things. It was after a Linux saloon episode some weeks back, I was talking about needing a 3D printer enclosure for my Ender 3. And someone said that I should build this using IKEA furniture, this LAC table, as the basis of the 3D printer enclosure. I looked it up on IKEA. The table, I think, is like $12 or something like that. It's like 20 after shipping. But I'm not going to drive to Chicago to go get it, because that would just be more in tolls just to get there. I already had some acrylic, uh, a 4x8 sheet of acrylic go figure. And I thought this is the perfect enclosure. And so my initial idea was to build it and just set it on the table. And then after I got this built, and I printed 3D printed all these other little components to it, actually, they're somewhere they still need to be printed that I will eventually employ. But right now, it's built. And it's actually covering my 3D printer now instead of a giant cardboard box with a red fleece that I got from Whirlpool when I worked there. It's a much nicer setup because I can actually see what my 3D printer is doing. It has uh, double doors in the front that I can open up and do whatever. And so this is just the beginning of the customization I'm going to do to my Ender 3. The great thing about the Ender 3 is the fact that it is customizable. There's a lot of aftermarket things people have done. So when I get the other two LAC tables, which I didn't initially intend on doing, so I'll have like a stack of three of these high. So the 3D print will be a little bit higher up, but then underneath it, I'll store all my filament and whatnot. And then below that. I'm not really quite sure. Maybe I can roll my sealed tubs that I have the open 3D printer filament underneath that. The nice thing is it'll be one contained unit, basically like a stack, almost like a a commercial machine, but, you know, made of wood and plastic as opposed to metal. I can have everything nicely contained. I'll stick it in a closet. I have a specific place I'm going to put it. And then what I'll do is I'll make some other modifications like the interface for using the printer. I'm going to actually move it outside of the enclosure. So it'll be screwed to the outside so I can adjust things without having to open up the door. I'm also going to add cameras and such inside of it as well and some lighting. But I'm really excited that I have this thing built It's working great so far It is containing the heat And also it makes the room slightly less noisy With that particular
2: enclosure Yeah, you didn't get the one with the silent board So how much does it reduce the overall sound of this running With that case on it?
0: Quite a bit More of the noise right now is coming from the actual drawing in of the filament, not so much the motors themselves. You can hardly hear that at all. The way the filament is fed into the printer is actually the filament is above outside of the machine, outside of the enclosure, and it has a kind of a neat little fill tube thing, and it's really quite convenient for changing it out actually much better than the factory OEM method, I think. The wheels are a little bit noisy on it. I can probably tune that out eventually at some point in time at some method, but I don't recommend having your 3D printer right next to your microphone, like too close, which is why mine is going to go into a closet when I get the other two tables.
2: And I know that you are working with a different type of plastic. I can't remember which one it was, but working with that material is part of the reason why you wanted to build the enclosure. Have you printed anything larger with it? Has it helped with the curling issue?
0: It has essentially solved my curling issue, at least for PLA, but the plastic that's harder to print, ABS, I haven't printed anything large yet with that. I will, but I'm not going to just go out of my way to print anything, a random thing that's large because that takes a long time. I will be doing some other things to see how it does, but right now I'm printing off more bits and pieces that I need for the enclosure and another project that I have going on. Awesome. Now it's your turn to toss in your two cents on today's topics hit the discourse form, drop us a line under this video or on the contact form by visiting dlnextend.com contact. If you'd like to hang out with us on our preferred social media, see the links at the bottom of the show description. For other great shows like Hardware Addicts, GameSphere, Linux Saloon, and more, go to destinationlinux.network. Show off your love for your favorite podcasts and shows by visiting DLN Merch Store. Grab yourself some awesome swag like the gamer-centric I pause my game to be here shirt. As always, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another awesome episode of Linux Out Loud. Until then, keep the banter friendly, conversation somewhat on topic, and have fun doing it.